when my daughter was younger, she had to spend some time in a children's hospital. One of the cool things they do at children's hospitals, something they do really well, is they try and entertain kids. They try and make them happy, right? Because you have sick, suffering kids, and they want to bring joy. So they do all kinds of cool stuff. They have, like, therapy animals come in, and professional athletes come and hang out at the hospital. Really fun stuff. I remember one night we were sitting in her hospital room, and there was a knock on the door, and it was kind of late. And this guy pokes his head in, and he says, hey, could I do some magic tricks for you? Now, when I think of magicians, I'm thinking like, cool, you know, mysterious David Blaine. This guy looked like a retired computer salesman, but that's fine. Come on in, make my kids smile. I'm good with that. I'm not expecting much from the volunteer, you know, magician at the hospital, but okay. So he comes in and he sets up his stuff. And honestly, I'm not really paying attention. My daughter's watching, but I'm kind of doing my own thing. And after a few minutes, I, I, I'm hearing her and she's going, whoa, cool. How'd you do that? Like really neat stuff. And I'm starting to get a little more interested. So I kind of scoop closer and I'm kind of watching. And he does a card trick and he, he guesses her card. Like, okay, big deal, whatever. He does something else. I don't remember. Before you know it, he's doing like sleight of hand stuff. He's making things disappear. And I got to tell you, I'm all in at that point. Like, I'm just sitting there watching. Like, I, give me more. I love that. I don't know if you've ever been to a magic show or seen magicians on TV, but there's something so fun about it. And yeah, as we're watching, I had this question. It's the, it's the question you have when you're watching a magician. You want to know how they do that, right? That's the question you have for a magician. They do something cool and you go, how did they do that? How did they make that whatever disappear? How did they guess my card, I want to know how they saw that person in half. Like, that's really cool. How did they do that? When Jesus was walking on the earth, he did a whole bunch of things that seemed like magic tricks. He turned water into wine. He brought a little girl back to life just from miles away. And imagine if you're there and you're watching this guy, Jesus, this average guy. Maybe you know him. Maybe you went to high school with him. Maybe Jesus is one of the guys that built your family's house. He's just this normal guy, but he's, he's doing these miraculous things. He's doing this, these incredible things. Don't you have that question? How's he doing that? You're watching him. You know this guy. And he's doing these things that you could never do. And you're asking, how'd you do that? That's what I want to talk about today. Jesus does all these miracles, all these just mind-blowing things. I want to look at that question how does he do that? So if you've got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on, grab your phone, open it up there. Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Matthew 12. Matthew's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Don't be afraid to use your table of contents to find it. Matthew chapter 12. Here's sort of the story of what's going on. Jesus has really got himself into this little holy war with a group of people called the Pharisees. These are the Jewish religious leaders, and they don't like Jesus. See, they have in their mind that a Messiah is coming. A savior is coming for their people. But this Messiah is supposed to be powerful and wealthy and from the right family. And he's supposed to be good looking and he's supposed to have gone to Harvard. And Jesus, well, he's literally none of those things. And they hate him for it. And so Jesus is going about his life. He's doing these miracles. He's doing these incredible things. And people are watching, both people that hate him, like the Pharisees, but then also people who are just genuinely interested. Like, what's this guy up to? They sincerely want to know more about him. But whether you love him or you hate him, everyone has the same question. How did he do that? How is Jesus doing these incredible things? And today in Matthew chapter 12, 
He's going to tell us. So here's what it says. Here's the story. Matthew 12, verse 22. It says, Then they brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man, who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and they said, could this be the son of David? They're like, is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Beelzebul was a pagan god in the east and a bunch of cultures worshipped him. By Jesus' time, by the time Jesus was alive, uh, he was really, Beelzebul was really associated by the Jews with Satan, really with, with demons. And so the Pharisees are trying to answer the question, how is this Jesus doing these things? He's doing miracles. He's driving out demons. How's he doing it? And the best that they can come up with is, it must be by the power of Satan. Verse 25 says, Jesus knew their thoughts. So he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? Essentially, he's going, okay, guys, let me get this straight. You acknowledge that I just healed this guy, that I drove out the demon and this guy was healed. You get that. But the way that you think I did it was through the power of Satan. Like that just doesn't make any sense. You got to come up with something better. A demon driving out demons. Why would I do that? I'd be fighting against myself. I mean, you kind of feel a little bit bad for Jesus because he's just hanging out with his buddies and they bring him this guy who has a, this rough life and Jesus heals him. He casts out the demon. He heals him. So the guy can now see and the guy can now speak. And they call him Satan. They turn it around on him and call him Satan. I mean, like tough crowd. Jesus actually then turns it back on them. He goes, okay, Pharisees, if, let's think about this. You have priests who do these kinds of things. You have priests that can drive out demons, that can do exorcists. How do they do it? Do they call on the power of Satan? He's kind of pushing it back on them. You can see the tension building. Jesus and the Pharisees, they're, they're kind of fighting. They're going back and forth. Right before this, it said that the Pharisees were planning to kill Jesus. Now they're calling him Satan. But the question still remains. Everyone's trying to figure it out. How is he doing these things? How is Jesus able to do things like heal people, cast out demons? Listen to verse 28. It says, but Jesus speaking, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Remember that, we're coming back there. Verse 29, he says, or again, let me say it another way. He says, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Jesus is saying that he has bound up Satan and he's gonna plunder his house. Jesus is like, I'm not with Satan. I'm not on his side. I'm against Satan. But it's not even a fight. I've already beat him. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. He goes, look, you, you've been watching me for years now. You've heard the things that I'm saying and teaching. You've seen the things that I, I'm doing. If I've said something that's not true, please tell me. If you've seen me do something that's wrong, 
Let me know. I want to hear about it. But otherwise, he says, here's the line. And it's time to decide. You're either on my side. You're either with me or you're on the other side and you're against me. He goes on. One more thing. Verse 31. He says, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So we're going to get back to how Jesus does all these things. And I just want to say, it matters how Jesus does miracles. It matters theologically, and it matters really practically for me and for you. And I'm going to show you that, but we got to stop here for a second, because Jesus does this wacky thing. And he mentions something called the unforgivable sin, which sounds terrifying, right? The unforgivable sin. And maybe you've heard that phrase before. And if you have, you probably have a couple of questions. I certainly have a couple of questions. One is, okay, what is the unforgivable sin? Like, I want to know what that is. And then the second question I always have is, have I committed it? Like, is it already too late for me? I mean, I've done some stuff, right? I've done some stuff, said some stuff, thought some stuff. Am I in that category of unforgivable or having committed the unforgivable sin? I want to slow down and talk about this for just a minute because I think it's one of those phrases you hear. It might scare you. Maybe you've heard a bunch of stuff about it. So let's slow down and let's just sort of take in what the Bible says and what's going on here in this scene. And I think we can make sense of this unforgivable sin. So what is the unforgivable sin? A couple of things we've got to establish. First is that Jesus performs miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that more in a few minutes. But Jesus, we know that. Jesus performs the miracles that he does by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing we know is it's going on here in this scene is that the Pharisees are saying that he heals by the power of a demon. That's their accusation. The truth is he heals by the power of the Spirit, but they're accusing him of healing by the power of a demon. Jesus calls that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he says that that, what's going on there, is the only unforgivable sin. So we put it all together. We kind of try and figure out what is the unforgivable sin. Give us a definition, a picture of it. I think that what we come up with is that the unforgivable sin is sort of people telling you not to follow Jesus because he's demon-possessed. Telling folks not to follow Jesus because he's demon-possessed. Now, does that happen today? Is that going on right now? I'm, I'm not sure. Just my opinion. I kind of think that maybe Jesus was talking to this specific group of people for this specific time, in this specific moment. I'm not sure I've heard a lot of people running around saying, don't follow Jesus. He's, he's filled with the demon. But I do think that there might be something here for us to learn. If we just sort of look at the Pharisees, we sort of zoom out. Do you think there's something here about having a soft heart and being sensitive to the way that God might be moving? Where the Pharisees are quick to sort of close it off and go, ah, oh, it's a demon, it must be evil. Is there something about being sensitive towards the way that God might be moving? So just for example, let's say you have a friend who's sick and that friend gets better. Like, do we thank God for that? Or do we immediately just go, yay, doctors, yay, medicine? If you get a big raise at work, do you rejoice and praise God? Or is it just you thank your boss because she's the one who signs your paycheck? 
Maybe it's just about being sensitive to what God might be doing. Little stuff, right? It's raining or it's snowing and you go to the grocery store and you're in a hurry and that front row spot just happens to be opened. You just go, ah, coincidence. Oh, it's clean living. It's good luck. Or is it possible that no, maybe that's just, maybe it's just God blessing you. Maybe it's just God dropping good little things in your life. Is there something here about being sensitive to the way the Holy Spirit might be working? I mean, it's just so, the Pharisees' reaction is so harsh. I think about um, Nicodemus in John chapter three. Nicodemus says to Jesus, you must be from God. Oh, you have to be from God because nobody could do these great things that you're doing if they weren't from God. Such a different mindset than the Pharisees who call him Satan for doing something really good. I just wonder, maybe there's something here. Maybe we could be sensitive. Maybe we could have soft hearts to see that God through his Holy Spirit is working and moving. So I don't know, the unforgivable sin, I guess what I would say is I wouldn't really worry that that much about it. I think if we have a soft heart, if we have a repentant heart, if we're looking for God to move, then we're going in a, we're going in a good direction. Let's go back to this question though. Our question is, how did Jesus do these incredible things, do these miracles? And I think I sort of already answered it. But the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to complete his kingdom assignment. The Holy Spirit empowered him to complete his kingdom assignment. See, it's so easy to go, oh, of course, Jesus could do these things. He's God. Jesus could just jump up to the highest mountain. He's like a, like a superhero. Like, yes, Jesus is God. But Jesus is also man. So Colossians says that the full deity is in bodily form in Jesus, in Colossians chapter two. So for you theological nerds, the word for this is the hypostatic union. And what it means is that Jesus is 100% God. And Jesus is 100% Man, Jesus is not 50% God and 50% man. He's not this this combined sort of God-man. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. So yes, he's, he's God, but Jesus does not exert his divine power on a lot of human situations. You look at him and you see a man. So when Jesus was working in his father's carpentry shop, and he's making something, he's hammering away, and he whacks his thumb with a hammer. He doesn't look at it and go, oh, and then just heal himself. That'll be okay. No, Jesus hucks the hammer across the room like you would or like I would, because it hurts. When Jesus' mom goes, hey, it's your turn to do the chores, little Jesus doesn't levitate the dust off the ground and push it out. The, no, he gets a broom. All right, mom. He is... Jesus is God, yes, but he's a human being and it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus performs these miracles. He listens to the Spirit of God and then he obediently does what God asks him to do. We, if we're gonna understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus and then push it forward into your life and my life, we're really gonna understand the, the role of the Spirit. We've gotta get away from this idea that Jesus is Clark Kent and he waits till no one's looking and then he spins around really fast and he becomes Superman and he does all these miracles. No, Jesus listens to the Spirit of God. He needs the Holy Spirit to help him complete his kingdom 
assignment. Go back to the passage for a minute. Go back to Matthew chapter 12. And it says this, Jesus speaking said, but if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He goes, look, this is the power of God at work. Almost like he's saying, yes, what you saw with your own eyes is true. I did that. But it was the Holy Spirit working through me that empowered me to do that. Jesus' butter, bu- his butter, his buddy Peter says this a little bit better in Acts chapter 10. Listen to this. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all people who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. Listen to this again. How did he do these things? Because God anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God working through Jesus that causes him to be able to do these incredible things. He doesn't do it just on his own. It's the power of the Spirit. And I think, I think I can prove it. So I want you to think back. I want you to think to the guy that this story started with. This guy who comes to Jesus, he's demon-possessed. He can't see. He can't speak. I want you to think about him for just a minute. I want to think you to think about how he must have felt. So do me a favor. Close your eyes. If you're here on campus, close your eyes. If you're watching at home, close your eyes. If you're driving in your car, please don't close your eyes. The rest of us are going to have our eyes closed. Imagine for a second. Imagine you wake up tomorrow and you can't see. Something has gone horribly wrong. But imagine you also can't tell anyone that you can't see. You can't even communicate that. And you probably can't hear. What do you do? Maybe you shake your spouse laying in bed next to you. But you don't even have any way to communicate to them what's going on. Maybe you get out of your bed and you go down the hall and you're holding onto the walls because you can't see anything and you want to tell your roommate what's happened. But remember, you can't speak. Imagine for a second how this feels. Imagine how claustrophobic it is. Imagine how lonely it feels. Now imagine you're all better. This guy, Jesus, healed you. Open your eyes. Lights come back on. But the text doesn't tell us how Jesus healed him. It just says that Jesus healed him. Now you can see. You shout for joy and you realize you can speak. You hear people around you going, oh my goodness, what what did we just witness? Your senses are, are fully alive. Imagine how that feels. Are you excited? Yeah. Are you full of life? Yeah. So think about everything that we've learned about the Holy Spirit over the last four, five, six weeks. Does the Holy Spirit give life and joy and zeal and energy and enthusiasm? Is that from the Holy Spirit or from Satan? From the Holy Spirit, right? We've learned that the Holy Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit literally is the breath, the Bible says, of God, life-giving. The Holy Spirit gives joy and peace. Of the Spirit. That's what this guy who's been healed is experiencing. I think it proves 
that it is the Holy Spirit working through Jesus. This man, this human being, Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit working to do these things. The Holy Spirit empowers Jesus to complete his kingdom work. But now get ready, because now is when it gets really good. I told you all of that so that I could tell you this. Listen, Romans 8, verse 11, says the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, the ultimate miracle, lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that allowed Jesus to perform all those miracles, that empowered Jesus to go to the cross, the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back to life, that is the Holy Spirit of God who now lives in every single Christ follower. And now the Holy Spirit continues to do his work because the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit, empowers you to complete your kingdom assignment. And you know what I mean by kingdom assignment. I mean the reason you're on earth. I mean what God has for your life, what God is calling you to, what God wants you to do. You have a kingdom assignment just like Jesus. And your kingdom assignment probably isn't going to be to drive out demons and do miracles. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a part of God's family and he puts his spirit inside of you because you have a purpose. You're a part of his kingdom and God has a kingdom assignment for you. Let me show you what I mean. If you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 8. Flip over there to Acts chapter 8. While you're turning there, I think, I don't know, the best way I can tell you about this is show you. So let me give you a couple of examples from my life about just kingdom assignments that, that I've had. You know me as the guy whose kingdom assignment is to preach the Bible. And that's true, but that's not where this assignment started. This assignment started actually in 2008. And I was sitting in church one day. My wife and I had gotten to church. We were there a little early. And so I was just sitting there and I was reading the bulletin. And I was hoping no one would talk to me because church people are weird. And I just like, leave me alone. Let me hear some songs. Let me hear a sermon. Let me feel good inside. And then I want to go home. And I just, I don't want to be bothered. So we're sitting there and uh, this woman comes up and she says, hey, you guys have been attending this church for a while now. And I just didn't really want to engage. Like, oh yeah, 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 okay. And um, she says to us, she says, are you serving in, in any ministry of any sort? And my immediate reaction is like, no, thank you. No, thank you. But my wife, my wife says, no, we're not. And this woman says, uh, I wonder if you would be willing. And I hate when people say that, would you be willing? Because then you're a jerk if you say no. She says, would you be willing to hand out bulletins at the door once a month? Now, here's what I thought. Let's say yes, and then never come back to this church. It was my first reaction. Because to me, the notion of this, honestly, was terrifying. Like, you've got to be a really good churchy to hand out programs at the door, I thought, right? Like, somebody's going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. They're going to find out I'm not a Bible scholar. I probably shouldn't even be in here. I probably shouldn't be allowed in church. And then I'm going to be really embarrassed. So I didn't want to do it. But somehow I knew in that moment that was my kingdom assignment. I was terrified of it, honestly. I did not want to do it. But I knew in that moment, this is what God wants me to do next. He didn't tell me what was down the road. He said, this is what I want you to do right now. And I knew that that was what God 
wanted me to do. But I was terrified. I needed the Holy Spirit to give me the strength to empower me to do that. And another kingdom assignment that I have. I'm a dad. I've adopted three kids. Do you think I came up with that idea on my own? No. The Holy Spirit of God led me. And my wife. See, there's a pattern here. The Holy Spirit of God led me to do that. And every day I think, I'm not equipped for this job. God, you should find somebody else for this job. I can't do this. That's my kingdom assignment. And I need the Holy Spirit to empower me to to do that because I'm not qualified. What I'm trying to tell you, what I'm trying to show you is that our kingdom assignment might be It might seem so small. We're probably not going to do miracles like Jesus did. Probably not going to cast out demons. But it is the same Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Let me show you how simple it can be. Acts chapter 8, we meet this guy named Philip. Philip was one of Jesus' disciples. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, here's what it says. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down, From Jerusalem to Gaza. I know you're thinking, if an angel appears to me, I'll listen. No, but hang on for a second. Verse 27. So Philip started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The The Spirit of God told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip's kingdom assignment. You ready, Philip? Big, bad disciple of Jesus. You ready for your kingdom assignment? Go stand over there. That's literally his assignment. Philip, go stand over there. Go stand over there by that chariot. No, 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 no. You must be mistaken. I hung out with Jesus for three years. I could preach to thousands. Let's go. Bring people. I'll get them saved. Come on, God. No, that's not your kingdom assignment. Go stand. Go, just go stand over there. And yet, even in that, Philip needs the Holy Spirit to lead him. Philip doesn't know that's what he's supposed to do. Philip thinks he's going to have some headlining purpose. God goes over there. And he has to follow the Spirit. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to complete his kingdom assignment. And so do you. And you watch Jesus and you go, I'm not going to do things that Jesus does. I'm not going to do these miracles. I'm not going to turn water into wine. Right. Because that's not your kingdom assignment. Maybe right now your kingdom assignment is to change diapers. Maybe right now your kingdom assignment is to go to work. Maybe right now your kingdom assignment is to do your schoolwork. Maybe right now your kingdom assignment is to forgive someone. Maybe right now your kingdom assignment, you're caring for an elderly family member. Maybe right now your kingdom assignment is to stop hoarding money and and, and to be generous. It could be so many things, but we have got to get over the idea that unless we're going to move to Africa and feed starving children, we don't really need the Holy Spirit. No, it's not true. You need the Holy Spirit to accomplish the assignment that God has put before you, no matter how big or small it might seem. I mean... Can you change diapers without the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I guess you can. But watch how fast you become resentful. Can you go to work without the Holy Spirit? Sure, you can get in your car and start driving. 
But how long does it take till you start complaining? Can you be generous without the Holy Spirit? Sure, I guess. Anyone could write a big check. But to do it with joy? I don't know. See, we look at the life of Jesus, and we look at all these things that seem like magic tricks, and we go, how did he do it? Well, he did it because the Spirit of God lived in him and empowered him, and that same Spirit lives inside of you, Christ follower. And so when, when God challenges you, when God puts something on your heart, when you read something in the Bible, and you go, no, I, I, God, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I'm not capable of doing that. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead is inside of you, and he goes, you're right. You can't do that, but I can. So I want to finish a little different today. I want to finish just by reading you a story because I think we get overwhelmed. And some days we feel like, okay, this Holy Spirit stuff, it's like ethereal, but we forget it's meaningful. He lives with us. God is on our side, and he's doing a bunch of things that we can't see. So in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Elisha. Elisha was a prophet, and God gave Elisha the ability to know what the enemy was planning against Israel. He could see their next moves, and he would alert the king of Israel to what was going on. Listen to this story. Just listen. From 2 Kings, it says, Time and again, Elisha warned the king of Israel so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He said, Go, find out where Elisha is. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night. They surrounded the city. When the servant of Elisha got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? He said. Elisha answered, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills. They were full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding he and Elisha. Maybe right now your kingdom assignment feels like more than you could handle. You go, man, I can't change one more diaper. I can't do one more school assignment. I cannot go to that dead end job for one more day. I cannot forgive that person. God, I know you're asking me to, but I can't because they keep hurting me. You go, I can't do it. You're right. I mean, here's the thing. Like, this is the truth about it. You're right. You can't. But the same Spirit of God who lived inside of Jesus, who caused Jesus to do all those miracles, who took Jesus to the cross with joy when Jesus said, God, Dad, I can't do this. That same Spirit of God lives inside of you. And when you say, no, I, God, I can't, he lovingly says, you're right. You can't, but I can. Pray with me. God, like Elisha, I pray, open their eyes, Lord. Open their eyes that they may see. God, soften our hearts that we would not be like the Pharisees 
who discounted everything, who tried to come up with an explanation for everything, but instead, God, that we would see that your goodness and your power and your love is at work everywhere, all around us. God, you have laid before each one of us some sort of assignment, some kingdom assignment, and we, I ask that you would reveal that to each of, of us through your word, through someone around us. Show us what you, what you want from us, God, and what you want for us. But God, you give us your Holy Spirit to empower us. Your word says that you're with us to the end of the age, not just your spirit, God, is not just floating around in ambiguity. No, he lives inside of us. It goes with us. Open our eyes that we would see your power and your love at work. God, some of us are we're going through life and we just feel like we can't go another day. We can't change another diaper. We can't go to another day of work. God, it hurts too much to even think about forgiving that person. Thank you that we don't have to do it on our own. Thank you that it's okay that we have doubts. It's okay that we say, like Jesus said, no, God, I can't do that. Because your Holy Spirit is inside of us and says, but, but I can. Help us to know that truth. Help us to believe that, God. Thank you that you gave us Jesus. Thank you that he gave up his life so that we could have life. And thank you that your Holy Spirit raised him from the dead and that today, that same spirit lives inside of each one of us.